Well, if you're here, if you're a guest here at Palm Vista Community Church, it probably will not come to you as a surprise that I'm going to be preaching about the resurrection. You would expect nothing less. If I didn't, you would be asking yourself, what's this guy doing? So I'm hoping to not disappoint you. Uh, But before I start the sermon, I wanted to let you know about a resource. This is for all of us. It's called Lifted, Experiencing the Resurrection Life. And this book does a good job of translating the doctrine of the resurrection, which I'm going to be preaching to you about, uh, into everyday life, how it affects your everyday life. So we've got a few of these for sale. I encourage you to get this. I think you'll be pleased in helping you to apply the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, though many of us would celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day of our lives, today is the day on the church calendar when the church officially celebrates Jesus' resurrection. And so, if you're a guest, I wanted to let you know that there's a classic text about the resurrection in the Bible. And, and if you're here, thank you. You're probably wanting to learn more about the resurrection. And here's, this is the Bible. It's God's word. And there is a chapter in this Bible that's really a classic text about the resurrection. So I want to start there. And this, this text will introduce us to the theme. And it's in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 6. And the text should be coming up there on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. And it says the following. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Notice, in accordance with the scripture. So he died in accordance with the scripture. He was buried and he was raised according to the scripture. Verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So friends, Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. It's a historical fact verified by over 500 eyewitnesses. 500 eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Jesus. This morning's text, the text from which I'm going to preach to you, is the story of two of those witnesses. Two men. The historical account of how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking from Jerusalem back home to Emmaus, about a seven-mile walk. They were walking home after the Passover weekend. For them, it was the first day of the week, Sunday morning. And this account is found in Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Luke 24, verses 13 to 25. So let me ask you to do this. If you're a guest with us, you want to hear the truth. Here's the truth. What I'm preaching to you comes from this, the Bible. If you don't have one, we've got some back here. If we run out of those back there, look on your neighbor's Bible. And if you're a believer, if you're a member, get your Bible out. Turn to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Third book of the Gospels of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Turn to Luke 24 as we read God's account of this resurrection appearance to two men, two disciples, as they're walking home from Jerusalem to Emmaus. 
after having experienced the Passover weekend in Jerusalem. Are you there? The title of the message is Resurrection Hope. You know, it's a great illustration, guys. Because as you notice, we had a little glitch in the, in, the, in the force there, right? So I was hoping that that would come up. And my hope was fulfilled, wasn't it? My expectation, my desire. For that, I am very grateful, men. <laughs> Perfect illustration. Thank you guys for giving me that illustration. Unplanned, but it was very good. Resurrection Hope is the title of the message. The text, which you should be looking at right now, is in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Hear the word of God. Listen to it. Let it affect you. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But, verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing them, him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he, Jesus, said to him, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since these things happened, and moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking 
of the bread. Lord, I pray that you would open my mouth to speak your word. You would open the ears of everyone to hear the word. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray you would still all distractions, that you would still all wandering hearts, that you would open blinded minds, ears, and eyes. Risen and reigning, Lord Jesus, reign this morning in our midst and speak to us that we might recognize you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now the title of this passage is Resurrection Hope, and many of you may be saying, hope? Why should I care about hope? It's not a category for me. I don't think about hope. What is hope anyways? God wants you to have hope this morning. The Bible says that hope is one of the three foundational eternal things of life. Behold, three things, faith, hope, and love. These three things will endure. And as we know from 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these is love. But hope is in the top three. I invite you to start thinking in terms of hope as a category for your life. And then the second question, so what is hope, Al? Well, there's a common sense definition. I think all of us would agree Hope can be defined as an expectation or desire for something to happen. Each one of us has an expectation or a desire for something to happen. That's hope. Hope can be as mundane as the expectation or desire that you make that green light because you're running late for work. It can be as silly as hoping that the lines at your favorite restaurant aren't really long today because you have a short lunch break. Or hope can graduate to more weighty matters. You can hope that God would give you a spouse. You can hope that God would give you a child. As we just heard announced, he's done to my daughter and son-in-law. And then further, you can hope that that child or that spouse that God has given you would would turn out to be someone who loves God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And, And you can hope that you would mature and grow as a Christian. And those around you would mature and grow as Christians. You can hope, you can have an expectation and a desire for good health. A good career that yields fulfillment and financial blessing to provide for yourself, your family, to bless others. We at Palm Vista can hope that we would mature and multiply as a church. We can hope that God has mercy on us and brings resurrection life to our tired bones by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can hope for revival in our community here in South Florida. We can hope for peace and prosperity in our nation as she turns to God and away from wickedness. But friends, our ultimate hope And this is a category you must have. Oh, please listen. If you're here this morning, I'm thinking you're scratching on that category. You may not even want to think about that category. You'd like to keep that category sealed until it's absolutely necessary. But, oh, friend, it's necessary this morning. You've got to have a category for this. You've got to have an expectation or some desire for what's going to happen to you after this life. Two things are guaranteed, right? What are they? Taxes and death. April 15th is approaching. I'm not prophesying, but death may not be far behind. I hope not. Do you hear me that? I hope not. Don't quote me out of context. But you never know, do you? 
Do you have a category for hope about what happens to you after you die? See, for the believer, there's a hope that we will all have eternal life as we share in Christ's glory. Now, here's something I know. That if you have hope, if you expect or desire something, if you have this expectation or desire for something, and that something that you expect or desire is delayed or denied long enough, then you can be tempted to lose hope, even if it is on a very small level or short-term level at first. But if it continues to be denied you, that expectation and that desire, and if it moves from small mundane things, but to more weighty matters like I just mentioned and other things perhaps that I didn't mention, then your short-term disappointment can turn into long-term hopelessness. Maybe you're not there right now. Maybe hopelessness just isn't where you're at. It doesn't dominate your life. But there is something that you're not getting. There's something you expect or desire or hope for in certain areas of your life that you're not getting. And you know, it's starting to affect you a little bit. You're feeling a little more irritated these days. Things that hardly bothered you before seem to really bother you. Getting angry quicker. You find yourself more easily discouraged, complaining. Disappointment and frustration are starting to become your unwelcome companions. And some of you are sliding into despondency and ultimately some can become hopeless and deeply depressed. I don't know where you are on that spectrum of hope. Listen, you may be sitting there right now saying, Al, I'm just fine right now. I am getting everything that I expect and desire. And if so, then may this message serve to prepare you for that day. Listen, that day when you might not get everything you expect and desire in life. And may it encourage you to not put your hope in the passing things of this world, but to have it firmly rooted, rooted in the only thing that will last. For the majority of us, though, this message isn't speaking about some future day. It is speaking about today and our fight for hope today. I know that's where I'm at. God addresses us in this text and he tells us that our hope must be rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the main point of the text this morning. Our hope must be rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope must be rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Recently, my daughter Stephanie came to me with a problem. Her laptop was dead and she had a class assignment to complete, but no functioning laptop. It turns out that her charger was the problem. It wasn't charging the battery at all. Her laptop is an old but reliable one with tons of data that she needs and enough programs and computing power to get the job done, but no power. The screen was blank, dark, no hope to turn it on in order to benefit from it. And I looked at the charger and I realized that the wires inside the little connection were frayed from years of use. Then I remembered something I learned from my Cuban friend, Pastor Ruben Fonseca. He told me that in Cuba, when their chargers or remotes fail, they have to come up with creative solutions because unlike us, they can't just go to the store or go online and purchase a new charger. What they do is they take graphite, pencil lead, 
They scrape it into a fine powder and then they rub it on the connection and somehow bind it to the connection. And this graphite acts as a conductor to make the connection and restore the charger's ability to charge or provide power. And he told me that in some places they actually sell a product called Tinta Conductiva. (laughs) Conductive ink. Tinta is ink. They actually sell it in a little jar. It's liquid graphite with a little applicator. And as a matter of fact, if any of you know where I can get one, I'm trying to find one here so I can send it to Cuba with him so he stops having to destroy his pencils. (laughs) Our passage this morning is tinta conductiva for our hope. It's conductive ink that connects or roots our hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Because if that connection is broken, if you're hoping in something other than the resurrection of Jesus or the resurrected Lord Jesus, you are going to hit the wall of hopelessness some point in your life. That's what happened to our two travelers here. And we're just like them. The wires of their hope had become frayed because of what happened on Passover weekend, seeing Jesus die on a cross. They lost the connection to what Jesus had said about his resurrection. They'd forgotten. And we too are tempted to lose hope because many of the things we expect or desire are denied us and our focus has slipped. It slipped from the resurrected Lord Jesus to the things that we expect and desire. And we need some tinta conductiva, some conductive ink to make the connection. And this passage is it, friends. That's why you don't live by anything other than this right here. Nothing can give you hope but God's word and the resurrected Savior. Oh, you can limp along with some false hope for a while. If you're rich enough, you can buy it for a little while. If you're willing to ignore reality, you can fantasize for a while. If you take enough trips to Disney, you can maybe live sort of in this la-la land of false hope. Nothing against Disney. Um, Please, don't throw things at me. But, real hope, real hope is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, friends. See, for some of us at Palm Vista right now, we are experiencing a power outage. Our laptop is open. We know it's got great programs. It's got the gospel, but the screen, it's blank. No power. We remember what it used to look like. Nothing on there. And much like these two disciples, we are tempted to lose hope. But much like these two disciples, it's because we don't recognize the resurrected Lord Jesus, though he's walked right up on us. Look, look at, as you turn to Luke 24, 13 through 16 again, I have a question for you. Here's the question. First point of the message. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? So let's, let's take a look at this, this narrative. Isn't it an exciting narrative? Get into it. Listen. Imagine. Think. That very day, two of them were going on a, to, to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It's the day of the resurrection. It's the third day. It's the first day of the week, Sunday. They're walking home. They live in Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They've just come from the Passover weekend. Huge celebration in Jerusalem. 
packed house. They're talking about Jesus. And while they're talking, Jesus walks up to them and just walking with them, listening to them talk. It was not unusual for travelers to join together when they're traveling because for safety reasons. So they just let them hang out and walk with him. But verse 16 tells us their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. Remember, these are disciples. They knew Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. But God kept them from recognizing him. They failed to recognize Jesus. Listen, they were talking about Jesus, but they failed to recognize Jesus. Do you talk about Jesus but fail to recognize Jesus? I do. (laughs) They failed to recognize him even though he was talking to them. I mean, there's this incredible tension, isn't there? We as the readers know it's Jesus. They as the actors in this drama don't know it's Jesus. It's a device that is used in dramatic literature to heighten the tension. It's like the reader. It's like we just want to yell, Hey, it's Jesus you're talking to about Jesus. (laughs) Don't you recognize him? I mean, I've actually like jumped up like in certain TV shows that I'm really into. It's like, listen, it's him. That's the guy. Come on, get him. It's exactly what the people of that show want. I'm involved in the show. I'm emotionally involved. Get emotionally involved with this text. But you know what, friends? It can happen in real life. It can happen today. Listen, Jesus is talking to you right now through this passage, but you don't recognize him. And I want to jump up and down and I want to scream to you, hey, Jesus is talking to you. I know it's through my lips. I know that he's using my voice, but he's speaking to you through this word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you recognize him this morning? You think it's just me talking to you, friend. It's not. It's Jesus. Well, Jesus then asked them two questions. One in verse 17. We just read it there. Look at verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Look at the end of verse 17. And they stood still looking sad. So Jesus is listening to what they're saying. And then he just says, hey, um, what are you talking about here? And they just stop. And they look at him with just this, this sad, like. And Cleopas, one of them, says this to him in verse 18. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Oh, friends, is this not tremendous irony? Does this not display God's humility and patience with us? Here is God, Jesus, fully God and fully man. The only man that fully knows what happened this weekend. And this disciple, poor Cleopas, his name's in the book. At least the other guy's name isn't in the book. By the way, there's some consideration whether it's his wife that's walking with him. We don't know. It's an unnamed disciple. But he does what we all do. We say, we say, you know, God, my dreams are dead. That thing that I've expected, that thing that I've desired for years, that I've prayed about, I don't have it. 
Are you the only one that doesn't know what's happening here? Have you done that to the Lord? I have. Do you know what I'm going through, God? Oh, friend, here's the answer. He is the only one that really knows what's going on in your life. He not only knows, but he cares. He cares deeply. Jesus asks a follow-up question in verse 19. I love this, don't you? He just plays it cool. He doesn't just blast him. I, tell, I know, I'm the one who was crucified, not you. No, he doesn't do that. He just says, what things? Because he wants to draw them out. He wants to hear, listen, he wants to hear Cleopas's take on what happened. He wants to hear our take on what is happening. He wants to see, he wants to see how he's interpreting the events of Passover weekend. And listen to what Cleopas says, beginning in verse 19. And they said to him, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucify him. Now look at verse 21a. Here, Jesus is going to hear, he's, this man's going to identify the hope that he had that died. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They respected Jesus. He was a prophet like Moses, perhaps even referring to the Messiah, a prophet that's greater than me that will come like me, Moses said in Deuteronomy. They respected him highly. But what happened was their hope and what they expected of him and what they desired from him had not been met. They didn't get what they expected. They expected Jesus to redeem Israel. Now remember, what holiday, what, what, what uh, celebration, what feast, uh, Jewish feast were they celebrating? Passover. And what did Passover commemorate? When God delivered Israel from the bondage and slavery of Egypt into freedom and ultimately into the promised land. So what did these guys want? They expected and desired Jesus to deliver Israel from the bondage of Rome, from the slavery of Rome, and to deliver Israel back into prominence, to become a world power. They expected, they hoped in a political Messiah, one who would restore national Israel, and their hope was disappointed. Why was it disappointed? Their hope was disappointed because their hope was in the wrong thing, the restoration of political Israel. And so their hope died with Jesus. Their hope died because it was rooted in something other than the resurrected Lord Jesus. Friend, your hope will eventually die if it is rooted in anything other than the resurrected Lord Jesus. And that leads us to point two. Your hope is in the resurrected Lord Jesus. Your hope 
is in the resurrected Lord Jesus. After the pronouncement of the death of their hope in verse 21, look at 21b. Look what they say. Clarippus then adds these words. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. Very, very important. This mention of the third day in the second half of verse 21. Very significant. Remember, Jesus had previously informed the disciples that he must suffer and be rejected by the chief priests and the elders. We'll take a look at it. Luke 9.22 says, my hope is brimming for Luke 9.22 to show up. It is. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So leave leave that up for a moment here. So Jesus is telling them this earlier in his ministry. I mean, he told them exactly what happened to him. And what does he say? On the what day? On the third day. So when it's the third day in the text, what is happening? There, there, There is this remembrance of what Jesus said. Don't go there, but earlier in Luke 24, when the, when the women came to the tomb and it was empty and they were puzzled, what did the angel say to them? The angel said to them, listen, ladies, thank you for coming, but why are you coming? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then they reminded them of Jesus' words here in Luke 9.22, that he would rise on the third day. And it says the women remembered. And you know what? The disciples maybe remembered too. They remembered, but they did not believe. Look at verse 22. Luke 24. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They amazed us. They were amazed by the word, but they did not believe the word. They were amazed doubters. Are you this morning an amazed doubter? You are here. It is Easter morning. It is resurrection morning. You're somewhat amazed. Why would all these people gather into this auditorium? Why are there so many cars parked in front of the Catholic Church? I cannot get through there. What is going on here? What's with the lilies? I can, I, you know, someone came back from the dead? I'm amazed. But I doubt it. They didn't believe the women. They didn't believe the Lord. See, the force of the words in this text here are powerful. They're all in the present tense. The Greek words used here describe an immediacy. It's like a modern-day breaking news live from the tomb in Gethsemane. If you will notice, the body is missing. We have no idea. There are many theories. The leaders of the Jews are saying it was stolen. Remember, he said that, and so his followers stole the body. We've had a couple of interviews with some ladies that are crying and laughing. They look like they're not quite right, but they're telling us they saw a vision of angels and that the angels said that Jesus would raise from the third day and why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? That's a special report, Jerusalem TV. That's the sense it has here. That's the sense it has here. Do you feel the tension? (laughs) These guys are telling Jesus about not believing the women who told them that he was raised from the dead. They're telling Jesus that. Who's raised from the dead, but they don't recognize him. See, we can laugh about this. And I mean, I'm, I'm a dramatic guy. If you're new, this is the way I am. 
But it's not funny if you're sitting here an amazed doubter. It's not funny. It's not funny. Because the resurrected Lord Jesus and believing that he's resurrected is the only hope that we have. It's the only hope that we have. And the disciples should have known better. They should have known better. They should have known better because Jesus told them. And they should have known better because the prophets told them. Now let's go back to the outline. They should have known better because the prophets told them. And so he rebukes them. Look at Luke 24, 25. Twenty-five, twenty-six, And he said to them, and there's an exclamation point after this sentence, so I'm going to say it the way it's written. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Exclamation point. Hey, don't, don't homogenize Jesus. He's not this guy with this perpetual smile on his face. It drives me crazy. Uh, he, he, he's a man's man. He's not rude. He's not sinful. But, but he, he rebuked them, guys. Why? Because they were slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And then in verse 26, he reiterates what he taught them in 922 and what he's about to remind them that the prophets taught them for thousands of years, or at least about a thousand years, that was it not necessary, verse 26 of Luke 24, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then look what he does. Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they still don't recognize him. See, Jesus doesn't just leave them at the rebuke. He then patiently teaches them. He does one-on-one or one-on-two personal tutoring. The Lord of the universe chooses to appear to two disciples, one of whom we don't even know their name, the other one, Cleopas, who was not an apostle. And he says, I'm going to give you a one-on-one tutoring, but he's not just giving it to them, he's giving it to us. And he's giving it to all the church who read this account that Luke was inspired to write. But doesn't it speak of God's kindness and condescension to our ignorance and unbelief? Jesus takes the time to start with Moses. Listen, it was a comprehensive lesson. And it says all the prophets, from Moses to Malachi. Moses was a prophet, last prophet Malachi. And he's teaching them, this is what they said about me. And what did they say about me? They said this, that the Messiah must first suffer and be rejected by his people, and then he would be glorified. It's what the prophet Isaiah told them about Messiah's suffering in Isaiah 53.8. Nice. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? This is what Isaiah told them hundreds of years earlier. It's what David told them, prophesying of Messiah's glory. Look at Psalm 16.10 and Psalm 110.1. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. This is a messianic psalm speaking of Jesus Christ. Or let your Holy One see corruption. Peter would later preach this passage on the day of Pentecost and say Jesus fulfilled that. 
And he preached it while he's pointing to David's tomb, because it's a psalm of David, and saying, David couldn't have been speaking about himself, because he's lying in that tomb right there. You know who he's speaking of? The one that I saw, Jesus, who rose from the dead. Messiah. Look at Psalm 110.1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Friends, the resurrection is Jesus the Messiah coming into his glory. Listen, it's more than just Jesus coming back from the dead and being alive. No, the resurrection is Jesus being glorified. Do you see that in Psalm 110.1? It's him sitting at the right hand of the Father. It's about his position. And it's also about his authority. Look at the authority in Psalm 110.1. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's authority. To make your enemies grovel at your feet. I'm going to put my feet on my enemies' backs. That's authority. That's what the resurrection is all about. It's about Jesus, not just alive, but ruling and reigning with all authority at the Father's right hand. Do you see that? Who's ruling right now for you? Your boss? That situation? That thing you want that you're not getting? Or is Jesus ruling and reigning? Jesus who came to inaugurate a new kingdom, a new era, eternal glory with the Father, promised to share it with us, promised that one day He would raise us from the dead, promised that He would restore heaven and restore earth. He's going to make all this new. And that restoration, the, the first fruits of it, the very first sign of it is His resurrection from the dead. He's teaching them what they should have known. But they missed it. This thing that he's teaching them is worthy of hope. It's worthy of our hope. And if we're in Christ, we have hope. The resurrection of Christ means that if we are in him, we are, part, we are raised with him. We will share in his glory. You know what's so great? Is Jesus' rebuke and his teaching set the disciples up to reveal now who he was to them. And I pray I do that to you this morning. Verse 30, they are now at someone's home in Emmaus. They're seated at the table. When he was at the table with them, he, Jesus, took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Oh, friends, here is the moment that God connects their hope with the resurrected Lord Jesus. Here is the moment when he breaks the bread. I could just imagine, right before that moment when the neurosynapses fire and they go, that's Jesus! <laughs> We're screaming, that's Jesus! I could just imagine they're thinking, well, I've seen someone do that and feed 5,000 people. Oh, I've heard of someone doing that and leading us in a final supper. I don't know if they were there, but certainly the feeding of the 5,000. They had seen Jesus break bread and bless it and distribute it. And in that moment is when God opened their eyes. In that moment is when God roots their hope in the resurrected Lord Jesus. And it changed everything. Look at verse 32. By the way, in that moment, he disappears. Why? Because once you've seen the resurrected Lord Jesus with eyes of faith, you no longer have to see the physical Lord Jesus. Blessed are you who not seeing believe. That's what Jesus said to doubting Thomas. That's us, man. We've got the testimony. He's speaking this morning. But look how it changed their lives. Verse 32. They said to each other, right after Jesus disappears, can you imagine? Guys breaking bread, poof, he's gone. 
I mean, they didn't freak out. They just said, I knew it. <laughs> Did you know it? Like, like when you get like tricked, right? Oh, I knew that was Jesus the whole time, you know? No, you didn't. But that's what they said. Look at verse 32. I knew it. <laughs> they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? What they were saying is this. When Jesus opened your eye, opens your eyes, when he roots your hope in the resurrection, what's the first thing that happens? You start having a heart that burns within you. You start loving and getting thrilled by it. I love it when you guys say amen and shout me down when I'm preaching. You're excited about hearing the message, and it's more exciting than watching whatever text you're looking at right now, whatever thing you're thinking about. You're Your heart is burning within you when your hope is connected to the resurrected Jesus. Does yours? Does your heart burn within you when you're hearing the word taught on Sunday morning? Does your heart burn within you when you go to Bible 45, which is a Sunday school class we have? Next week it starts back up on parenting. Does your heart burn within you when you're at community group and you're discussing the scriptures and you're talking about them? That's what happens when our hope is rooted in the resurrected Jesus. And another thing that happens, we go tell others. Look at verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, verse 34, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So you imagine these two guys are like jogging. I can just see them. They're like airborne rangers. They're jogging back to Jerusalem. Like, dude, seven miles. Let's go. Mini marathon. I guess that's not a mini marathon. Whatever. Seven miles. Boom. They burst in the door. Pow. When they burst in the door, they expect everybody to be like, you know, like they were. They're like, hey, wait, what's going on? Peter just saw him. The, the ladies were right. It wasn't like a dream. It wasn't a bit. Peter saw him. Well, forget Peter. We talked to him for a long time. <laughs> he taught us the word of God. We got the first seminar. Here's the recording. Listen. It's chaos. When, when, when your hope is rooted to the resurrected Lord, you love hearing his word, your heart burns within you, you pay attention, you listen, and you go tell people about Jesus. Have you seen him this morning? Have you seen the resurrected Lord Jesus? Have you heard him speaking to you? He's been speaking to you now. for going on about 35 minutes. <laughs> He'll be done soon. Um, do you recognize the risen Lord Jesus this morning? It changes everything when you do. Hope is born, friends, at the resurrection of Jesus. Dear unbelieving friend here in the congregation, Jesus is alive. You are here this morning, thank you. You're curious, you're an amazed doubter maybe. You're amazed that I can scream ongoingly for 30 minutes. Like, what's wrong with that guy? But here's the thing you should be amazed at. Jesus is alive and stop doubting. Believe. Recognize him. He's speaking to you. And oh, dear disciple, dear friend, dear member of Palm Vista, you know that Jesus is alive. You recognize him. You believe that he's raised from the dead, but you don't recognize him in that situation right now you're thinking of. That thing that has robbed your hope. That thing that you have expected and desired, but it just hasn't delivered. Or maybe that person. Maybe me. Maybe this church. And what the Lord wants to say to you is, root your hope in the resurrected Lord Jesus. Nothing else. 
nothing else. Our hope is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. Is your hope rooted in the resurrected Lord Jesus? Do you see him? Oh, many, many people see Jesus hanging on a cross, crucified. Many of us grew up with a crucifix. Or they see Jesus as a historical figure, but do you see him as alive from the dead? Ruling and reigning now. That is where hope comes from, dear friends. That is the tinta conductiva of our hope. It connects our hope to the resurrected Lord Jesus. Remember Stephanie's laptop? Well, this will surprise many of you because you know I am not gifted in these things. I actually got the idea, I, I remembered it like at one in the morning and hoped I didn't, wouldn't forget it when I woke up the next morning, and I didn't. And I got up and I got this, pe- this very pencil right here. And I just went, piece of paper like that, and I ripped off the piece of paper and I just you know, kind of ripped it into a little square like that and it had all the stuff on there. And I wrapped it around the connection with a little bit of uh, electrical tape. And guess what? It worked. It worked. It may be permanent because I just found out a charger for that laptop is 70 bucks. So I ain't paying 70 bucks for an old uh, charger for an old laptop. I'm going to have to pray healing over that thing. But, but, but it worked. It worked. Now, we're laughing about this right now. But here's a word to you, dear, faithful member of Palm Vista. Like those two disciples, your hope, the wires of your hope have been frayed. You're a little tired. I'm tired too. <laughs> but can I, just, can I just appeal to us all that maybe there's a certain weariness that's there because we need that tinta conductiva. We need to reconnect with the resurrected Lord Jesus. When our hope is rooted in the resurrected Lord Jesus, friends, then our souls, our hearts burn. We want to go and fellowship and hear God's word and sing of God. We don't drag in 20 minutes late. We, we're kind of leaning forward like, whoa, is this Sunday? Is it Sunday yet? And not that Sunday is the end-all, be-all, but God-ordained days for the church to gather as holy convocations that are special. Does my heart burn? When our hope's rooted in the resurrected Jesus, it does. There's a, there's a joy. He restores the joy of our salvation, the joy of fellowship, the joy of going to community group, the joy of dealing with and working with people that sometimes we can't stand in the natural. And they probably can't stand you either. And, but God changes us and God gives us patience because he was patient with us and he taught us and we're patient with them and God starts building the church and then guess what? When our hope's... Blah, Thank you. Rooted in the resurrected Lord Jesus. Too many R's. Then we go and tell people about it. Sometimes in organized events, sure. But our lifestyle. Lifestyle. Hope is found in Jesus. It's not just a mental game, guys. It's not something you have to obtain. That is to say hope. No, listen, if you are in Christ, then you have hope already. The Bible says you've been raised with Christ. You've been raised to new spiritual life in Christ's resurrection. You have more than hope. Oh, friends, you have more than hope. Hope is a precursor. Hope is a pointer. You have life in Jesus Christ. And a promise of eternity 
and a restored new heavens, new earth, and a restored body. The question is whether you will consciously walk in that hope as it's connected, rooted to the resurrected Lord Jesus. Whether we are caught in the grip of full-fledged hopelessness, depression, or find ourselves to some degree discouraged, distracted, or disappointed, we need to realize that it can be at these moments, at these moments, and that thing that right now distracts you, disappoints you, discourages you, some of you maybe is driving into hopelessness, it is at that moment that God is giving you the gift of seeing that you have not rooted your hope in the resurrected Lord Jesus. You've got misplaced hope. It's like going to the doctor and saying, Doc, I got this pain right here. And he says, okay, let me x-ray it. You broke your hip yesterday. Oh, really? Silly illustration, but it's true. If you've got pain in your soul, let the doctor, the Lord, x-ray it and show you you've got some things out of joint. You've got some hope in the wrong place. Relocate it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Reorient your hope from the things that you expect and desire. And some of them may be very good things. Please listen. It's okay to work toward these things. I got you. But your hope's got to be in the resurrected Lord as you work to change the other things, starting with yourself. This church, people in your family, preaching the gospel. We're to work really hard. But our hope's got to be rooted in the resurrected Lord Jesus. Where's your hope this morning? Is it firmly rooted in the resurrected Lord Jesus? Unbeliever, may Jesus open your eyes this morning to recognize him as your Lord. And may you bow down and repent and believe in him. Believer, may Jesus root your hope in him. May may he open your eyes to Jesus in that situation, in that relationship, in that dream or desire that seems dead and hopeless or where you're experiencing disappointment or discouragement, where you're being tempted to be abnormally critical or angry or discouraged, the place where you've lost hope, oh, let the x-ray of the Word of God come and show you that you have a misappropriated, misoriented, out-of-shape hope. You've lost sight of the risen Lord Jesus as your hope. We began our message with 1 Corinthians 15, which is the textus, Locus. That was the wrong Latin word, but it sounds impressive. If you don't know Latin, you would think I knew what I was saying, but I didn't. I'm sorry. (laughs) Nice try. We began our message in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, and we end it there, dear members of Palm Vista Community Church. Listen, seriously here. Dear workers at Palm Vista, you who have given your life and soul, your money, your time, and if you're honest, you're wondering, what's going on here? We seem to be in a little bit of a lull, a little bit of a malaise. We're kind of shuffling toward Emmaus. Eh, We're not as hopeless as these guys. I mean, no one's died. But it just doesn't seem like stuff's happening. I'm with you. (laughs) But here is what the Lord is saying. To us weary workers and faithful givers. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58. 
1 Corinthians 15, 50-58, resurrection passage. I preached this passage at, at Mario Sedano's mom's funeral a few weeks ago, and it brought great hope. It brought great hope through the tears. It brought great hope because death is an enemy, and we do have an enemy of our souls. But, oh, listen, faithful members of Palm Vista, listen to the word of God. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. No, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed that's good news isn't it (laughs) for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the imperishable puts on excuse me when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written this is an in your face satan death line and i love it because i'm pretty aggressive way too often am i in people's face but this is an appropriate time to be in something's face death our final enemy listen to the in your faceness of this death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your sting just standing over it. where is your sting Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through whom? Our Lord Jesus Christ. This is resurrection talk. Now, church members, listen. Therefore, therefore, circle that therefore. What's that therefore, therefore? Here's what it's there for. It's there to encourage us. Therefore, my beloved brothers, oh, you are beloved brothers and sisters. Therefore, oh, be steadfast. Now's not the time to move. Be immovable. Now's not the time to quit. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the resurrected Lord Jesus, who still speaks and who still acts through his disciples. Yeah, us. I know. Amazing. It is amazing because it's all from him. It's through him and back to him. But he still does it today. Abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, dear church, our work, it's not in vain. Let's pray. Worship team, please join me up here. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the opportunity to prepare it this week. I thank you that it spoke to my soul. Lord, I pray that it would encourage the faithful men and women that have put their shoulders to the plow at Palm Vista and are plowing really hard ground. The hard ground of hearts that have not only been hardened by sin, but just even culturally. An area of the country that is just not known for godliness. We're known for many, many things. Godliness would not be up on that list. The hard ground of religiosity. The hard ground of talking about Jesus all the time, but never seeing him. The hard ground of a craving and a coveting for things, material things. The hard ground of sensuality and pleasure and hedonism. Lord, thank you that that they've been plowing and the sun is, is out and there's sweat on their brows. They're tired. There's a blister where they've been pushing that plow. They look back. It just looks like a dusty field. But Lord, just like when it rains in the desert, you can bring growth overnight. Lord, would you pour out your spirit? That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead 
dwells in you and it will quicken your mortal body, it says in Romans 8. Quicken our bodies individually and quicken the bodies, the churches in this area, corporately. Lord, you are our hope. So we stand and we confess that through this song. Let's sing it. You are our hope.